Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. It's great to see you. I'm Tim Jacobs. I'm the lead pastor here. And hey, isn't this awesome? Look at all these boxes. Woo! Operation Christmas Child. Who was at the packing party? Yeah, yeah, I saw all of you, and you were there, and you were there, and you were there. And um, the thing is, everyone's like, well, how many boxes did we get? We're still getting the total that's going to come in, but we're on track to break our record of over 500, so that's really good. Um, The Operation Christmas Child people probably don't want me to give any actual numbers yet because they don't totally know, but that's what I'm saying. So even if I have to go out and get get us over the hump myself and go out and buy buy a bunch of boxes myself, we're going to get over that that record. But anyway, over the last few weeks here at Compass, we've been on a series called Where Your Treasure Is. Two weeks ago, we were challenged with the concept of storing our treasures in heaven— which is actually a good investment to store your treasures in heaven because you can't take your treasures on earth with you. So it's a wise investment to use the money that you have now to try to earn eternal wealth for yourself in heaven. And Jesus actually gives you that financial advice. It's the best piece of financial advice he ever gave. So we should use our money to gain treasures for ourselves that we'll be able to enjoy for all of eternity. Last weekend then, we talked about the whole concept of generosity and why we have money in the first place. And so we were challenged at the end to go to a restaurant and to leave an extravagant tip and to see what happens when we do. One guy in my connection group told me a story about how he and his wife did just that. They struck up a conversation with the server, and then as they were leaving, you know, they left their extravagant tip, and as they got up to leave, she followed them out, and she said, hey, hey, and she stopped them, and she said, thank you. You have no idea what this means to me. You have no idea what you did for me. You have no idea how this has made my entire day, and it had been a long day for her. They were able to bless her. Later on that day, I got a text from someone else. Hi, Pastor Tim, just wanted to share our update. We just left our lunch date and decided to leave our extravagant tip. We left it and quickly left the restaurant. Before we got to our car, the manager came out and called us back over to her. The sweet lady showed me the cost of our meal and the amount that we left our server and asked me if we meant to leave that much. She held the money out as if to give it back. I smiled and told her that we wanted to bless our server and thanked her for our meal. And then we together fell over laughing over over all this and how joyful it was. Thank you for our homework. We pray that God will bless our server and her family. And you think about that, that actual lives were changed this week. The actual, so there's people that can no longer say there's no grace or mercy in the world, that they've never been shown mercy, they've never been shown grace, they've never been shown maybe a hint or a window into God's love and his extravagance and in terms of his love for them. And I thought about that and how these servers must have thought these couples were so wealthy that they had enough leftover money to spend on them. But guess what? They they might be wealthy, these people that left the tip, but, but not in maybe in the world's standards. 
See, they're wealthy, but they're wealthy in, in terms of the fact that they've tapped into to God's resources. So they know that as they dump their little cup, cup of money out, God just increases it. So you don't have to be wealthy to do this. All you have to do is to tap into the generosity that God has because he owns everything and he is the giver of everything. And so they realize they aren't spending their money, but they're spending God's money because he owns it all. And honestly, can you think of a better use of money than that? I mean, you can't really think of like, how could money be used better? It can't be. So today then, as we wrap up our series, our topic is on, on our Where Your Treasure Is series is going to be on what the Bible has to say about giving money through the local church, giving money to God, rather through the local church. So I decided to call this sermon Giving to God Without Feeling Ripped Off. Because that's really what it's about, isn't it? I mean, a lot of us, when it comes to church, we say, you know, I don't want to go to church because I'm just going to end up getting hustled. I'm going to show up and then at some point they're going to drop the whole, you know, God wants you to give money thing and then I'm going to feel bad and guilty and they're going to hustle me out of my money. In fact, maybe, and I always feel bad for the people who are, maybe this is you, you were invited by a friend to come to church here at Compass and you've been saying no for a long time because you're afraid they're going to talk about money and so you've been saying no, 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 no and then finally like the one day that you say yes, you come here and then today is the day that we talk about giving money to the church. And you're like, see, I knew it. But what you have to know is we haven't had a sermon on this for at least two years. It just means that you're like an unlucky person, you know? <laughs> just don't take yourself to Vegas. You'll lose. But anyway, so I don't know what to say to you. However, I can tell you that our text today is going to be out of the book of Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. So if you have a Bible you know, um, open it up or open your app and find Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. It's in the Old Testament, also known as the great Italian prophet Malachi. Um, that's my stupid Christian joke. But anyway, so go ahead and turn there. Now, as you're turning there, let me say this. One of the saddest things today is the targeting of some of the most poor and vulnerable people by those you see on TV who preach what is called the prosperity gospel. And you see this on TV. And they tell you, give to me or give to my organization and God will solve your debt problems. Give to my organization and God will solve your medical problems. Give to my organization and God will solve your relationship problems. And so giving to God becomes this lottery ticket kind of Hail Mary last ditch effort thing that many poor and desperate people try to see if they can hit some kind of cosmic jackpot. And it's a tragic thing. So as we start off today, let me tell you right out of the gate that the scripture promises no such thing. In fact, if you have debt problems, you probably just need to change your behavior as it relates to money and your attitude towards material things. You probably have a spending problem. If you have medical problems, dropping a few hundred bucks in the till at the church is not going to magically force God's hand to heal you. If you have relationship problems, sowing a seed, is what they often call it, sowing a seed of $100 isn't going to automatically get your spouse to fall back in love with you. It's just not that easy. I wish it were. It'd be great for me, but it's not that easy. That being said, however, while giving to God may not change your situation, it will absolutely change you. And that's what you have to know. 
that giving to God is something that primarily changes you because God's going to um, have enough anyway and God's going to do what he's going to do and use earthly money to do it and he, whether he uses you or not is really up to you. So don't worry about that. It's not like God's up there going, well, I don't know how I'm gonna get any money. The issue is, it's not, and, and also it's not necessarily that your situation immediately changes, but you change and as you change, your situation will begin to change. So really this passage that we're going to read today is about the Israelites and how they had basically been living a totally apart from God. And so by not giving anything at all to God, to the temple, through the temple, and worshiping him that way, all of the temple functions stopped, which meant that they weren't doing any sacrifices. They weren't hearing the word of God taught or anything. They basically had entirely forsaken their law. And so they were living like a secular society. And everything was kind of breaking down around them. And they got to the point that they said, well, we want to come back, but what does it look like for us to come back? And so then God tells them through the prophet Malachi. And this is what it says in Malachi chapter three, verse six. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, by the way, what that means is God's saying, look, I don't ever change, which is lucky for you, because if I did, you'd all be dead. In other words, I don't change my promise that I've made to you to be your God. Like, no matter what you do, my covenant stands forever, and that's a fortunate thing because you guys have acted terribly, and if I wanted to change my mind, it'd be very bad for you. So he starts off with that. But then he says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. So what is he saying? Well, he's saying if you want to restore your culture, and if you want to get back to the relationship like that kind of operated like we talked about last week, if you were there, where God is actively engaged in providing for them. If you want to basically live in terms of how you've been created to live, not in freaking out and, and overemphasizing money, where you live and die on your paycheck, and you live and die on your crop yield, and you live and die on, on always getting one more dollar, and the stress and the agony and the disenchantment that comes from that, and you want to live in a right relationship with me, then start by surrendering this area of your life. In fact, re-surrendering it to me through your active giving to support the ministry and, and the, the pro proclamation of God's word all over our nation and of course all over the world. Now the reason he says this is because he wants them to understand a huge massive principle and that is this, that God owns everything. He owns everything. And so it says, in, um, and we'll actually look at this in a minute, but before I read this verse, I want to answer several questions about this today. And the first question I want to answer is, why should I give to God in the first place? And the answer I just gave you is this. Because he owns everything, we manage simply a part of it. We just manage. So God owns the whole, he owns the air that you breathe. He owns the metal in the car that you drive. He owns the wood and the house that you live in and the, whatever the roof tiles were made of and the insulation. He made all of that. All of it's his. And you and I get to manage or oversee or what's called steward 
a part of it. Some of us have more than others in that regard, but it's all God's anyway. And so the Bible says this clearly in Psalm chapter 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So the idea that you and I have like, this is, this is mine, this is my stuff, and God, you want some of my stuff, that's not fair. Like, where do you get that from? The stuff that you have was around long before you came around. How did you end up with it? Well, I earned it. Okay, you did earn it, perhaps by your work and everything else, but who gave you the capacity to earn? Who gave you the capacity to think? Who put you in a nation that even allows for such a thing? So don't get me wrong. This isn't some type of communist thing. You have private property that is your, yours as it relates to other people. There are sharp uh, rules and condemnation against stealing other, what's, what's, uh, other belongs to someone else, of course, but as it relates to us. But as it relates to God, it's ultimately not ours, it's God's. So when God brings the Israelites into the promised land, and they begin to farm it because it's a land flowing of milk and honey and it produces all these wonderful crops and their prosperity is increasing and their power in the region is increasing and their safety and their livelihood and everything is increasing. He always wants them to remember where it came from because if they ever forget that, they will lose their way and they will begin to worship the thing that they are producing rather than worshiping the one who gave it to them. And so as a as a rule, he says, I want you to give some of it back to me so you show and demonstrate that you are willing to live without some of it and you direct it back to the one who gave it to you in the first place. Then we have to ask the second question then, if that's the case, then what should I give to God? Okay, if I'm supposed to give something back to God, what is the right amount and the answer, he says in the scripture, is what he calls tithes and contributions. So in verse 8, he says, you've robbed me. And they said, well, you know, uh, so how have we robbed you? He said, through the tithes and contributions. Well, you robbed because it's mine anyway. And so a part of it belongs to me that you need to basically resurrender or re-give to me. So then we have to ask ourselves the question, what is a tithe? What is it anyway? Well, at its core, the definition of tithe is a tenth. That's what it means. It's not just any amount. You don't just come to church and you, it's like some people say, well, I tithed $5. Well, if you tithed $5, that's only true if like, an, if you tithe $5 a week, if on a given week you make $50. But most people make more than $50 a week. I mean, maybe you don't, but if, so in that case, $5 would be. So the, the amount is actually specific. It's proportional, but it's specific as it relates to the concept of a Tenth, which is why here at Compass, for example, we distinguish between tithes and offerings because we want to be clear. So a tithe is 10%. And so you would say if you tithe that whatever income you get, you set aside that proportionate amount to give back to God. And then, um, and then anything beyond that or above that or outside of that is considered an offering. And so that's how it would be in the, New, in the Old Testament, and that's how we would see it today. Now, because this is a huge amount in many people's minds, they can't imagine giving that amount of money because they go, well, I already got enough money going out of my pocket anyway. People will come up with a lot of reasons why it doesn't really apply today. 
And one of the most popular ones they'll say is, well, there's nowhere in the New Testament that we are commanded to give a tithe. So isn't it just an Old Testament thing that was part of the Old Testament law and tied to all the other laws about bringing sacrifices to the temple and everything else? We don't do those things anymore, so why should we continue to tithe, especially if we have freedom in Christ? But the challenge is that while, yes, it is found in the law of Moses, the concept of the tithe did not start there. In fact, it predates the law of Moses. It goes all the way back to Abraham before Israel was even a nation or before there were even any Israelite people. The first time that you can see it is in Genesis chapter 14. And it's this really bizarre story where Abraham meets this guy named Melchizedek, who's known to be the king of Salem or Jerusalem, before it was even in an Israelite place. And, and he's, this, he's called the priest of the most high God. And it's kind of a, he's a high priest guy. And since Abraham recognizes that this guy has this connection to the true God, and it's still probably a little bit cloudy, right? But he knows that this guy knows God and he represents God. And the Bible says that right there, he gave him a 10th of everything that he had. Why? Because he needed it? No, because Abraham wanted to recognize and worship the true God by giving this guy a 10th of all of his possessions. So this is something that's almost hardwired into creation. You see this all throughout, that the concept of that 10th amount is seen throughout scripture and outside of just the Israelite culture as a benchmark and a standard of, of practice that indicates worship of God in a certain way. So then Abraham's grandson, Jacob did the same thing in Genesis chapter 28, verse 22. He gave a tenth of all he had and made a vow to God and everything else. So that's the important thing. This is really kind of a timeless principle. And so without being legalistic about it, um, you know, I, we say it's a benchmark. Be, and and if you, it kind of makes sense when you think about it. Because anything less than that, you know, it's like, well, 2% or whatever. Well, 2% is, okay, it's fine. You know, but 2% isn't something that really makes you, you don't really have to think about it, right? But 10% is, is not like it's 20% or 30%, but there's something about that 10% amount. It's just enough to go, yeah, I feel that. Like, yeah, that's, that's real. Like, like I, that's a significant amount of money when you think about it. So what you're saying when you tithe, because again, you can't really say this with a less amount. But when you when you 10%, what you're saying is, God, I believe that you can do more with my 90% than I can do with my 100%. And that really is an act of faith. That really is a statement of God's provision. You say, God, I believe that you have the ability to, to help me do more with this 90% than I can do with 100% on my own. So again, there are people who would say, well, I don't believe the 10% standard would still hold. And I would say, well, then what, then what percentage would you come up with? Because either you're going to come up with more that's, that's going to be that you're going to lay on people and say, well, you should be giving 15 or 20%. And the Bible doesn't really command that. And, but a lot of people do. Or it's always less. Like there's people out there that will say, well, we do what's called grace giving. Okay, and they go, well, because it's, and they look, at, they look at like 2 Corinthians and whatnot, and they go, we do grace giving. 
And then honestly, when you really get down and ask them, I, I've never met a person who says, we're grace givers who actually give above the tithe. It's always below. It's always less because it's like, well, I just give whatever I feel God wants me to give in my heart. And it's typically less than the 10% because, well, of course you're going to do that a lot of times if you reject the tithe. Now, I know people who, who, say, who look at the tithe and say, hey, the tithe is not a ceiling, it's a floor. In fact, you know, I read an article about Rick Warren, you know, the guy that wrote The Purpose Driven Life, and he's the pastor of one of the biggest churches in America, Saddleback Church. And if you read about him, for this has been known for decades, that this guy actually gives 90% of his income away. Now, you can sit there and go, well, that's easy, you know, because he's a rich guy, because he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, and like half the world has read that book, you know. It's been translated in like 80 languages or whatever, and like everybody reads that book, and he's like this celebrity pastor. So, of course. But you can't really honestly say that because he's been doing that for years. And what he says is when we were really young, he says, my wife and I, we said 10%. And then the next year we moved it to 11% and then 12%. And we just started going up. And then we just added more and more and more as the time went on. And you think about that. You have to ask yourself the question, has his success as a pastor, not just financial success, but I mean his influence, is there any link at all between that and his dependency on God and his love for ministry that has, he has increased his giving over time? Is it just a random thing? Well, oh, he got rich, so it's easy for him to give 90%. Or is there a connection there between how God has blessed him as he has given more and more. Now, again, I'm not saying that you should do that. That is an extreme example, but it is a very interesting thing. And you say, well, he has a lot of money, but believe me, if you have a lot of money, I would think it'd be very hard to give away 90% of that much money and just live on 10%. That is a lot to have to do, but he's been doing it for years. And I just say this because there are people out there who live this way. So then the next question is this, where should I give to God? So, okay, I, we kind of like talked about what the right amount should be, and we could talk more about that. But the next question is, where should I give to God? And the answer would be to what I would say, the storehouse of the local church. So if we look at verse 10, he says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So we could understand this as the storehouse principle where the local church becomes the New Testament counterpart to the Old Testament concept of the temple. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul says, On the first day of every week, and that's when they met on Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. Now, what's interesting about that is that word store is the same word as this word that we get our word thesaurus from, because the word thesaurus is a treasury of words. Right? When, you need, when you're writing a paper or you want to speak more eloquently and you're like, I need to find another word, you go to the thesaurus because it's a treasure. That's what thesaurus is. It's a treasury and it's that same word store has, is the same word where we get this word and the idea of treasury from and there's a storehouse in the temple. So the idea is I bring it that direction. By the way, does anyone know another word for thesaurus? Just kidding. That was a dumb joke too. <laughs> Like I tried to find, like there's no other word, for, like give me another word for the sword, but there is only one. That's kind of ironic. But anyway, <clears throat> rabbit trail. But think about it. All that to say, 
that is there's this idea that, that, we, that we bring this to, the, to, in this case now, the local church because it's the, it's the parallel to the Old Testament concept of the temple. Now, it seems very self-serving to skeptical people among us for me to stand up and make a case to bring 10% of your income here to Compass. And while, it might, and I, while I totally, completely understand that, just being totally real with you, I can also say that the reason I can do this with a clear conscience is because A, the scripture talks about it, and B, this is something that I practice in my own life and my wife and I have for years. And not only that, but our staff practices it. Not only that, but our elders practice it. In fact, you cannot be an elder at our church if this is not something that's a regular part of your life. If you go, I don't want to give anything to this church. Well, good luck being an elder. Why do we want to hold you up as an example if we don't believe that you follow what God's teaching is in this or you don't want to live with dependency on it? So our, our, many of the, the leaders in our church, certainly our, our highest leaders, our staff and myself, practice this in our own lives. The other thing that you need to know is that, is that our church as an organization also participates in tithing. Meaning that whatever we receive as an organization in, on any given week, 10% of that is set aside for ministry outside the four walls of this church. So it's church planting, both locally and around the world, and other you know, community outreach events that are designed to reach people who never would step foot inside this church, and to be able to meet real and legitimate needs. And in fact, just so you guys know, last night, I kid you not, at like midnight, so the Saturday people didn't get this, but at midnight, I get this text from um, our, some, several of our missionaries who are in Mosul, Iraq, right now. And they said, hey, I just, um, this gal, she said, hey, I just sent you a, uh, a uh, or John's going to send a little video update, and here's a little update of what's going on. Because you remember when we did the child sponsorship a, a few months ago, well, they're in the city now. Um, where a lot of this child sponsorships have taken place. And they were giving an update and they were able to bring all this food and everything into Mosul, which was under ISIS control. So I think we have a few pictures of what you can see. Yeah, just, just cycle through a few of those pictures. But this is happening right now. They're doing um, a thing for the kids. Hobby Lobby donated a bunch of little crafts. They're kind of little simple things with like little manger scenes that the Iraqi kids are able to do. And they're giving them all this food. There's eggs, there's rice and there's other kind of food staple items. These people have legitimate needs and are legitimately hungry. And we have people who have been here who are in Mosul where, I mean, Christians were getting, you know, blown up and beheaded and everything else. And they are there right as I speak. And part of the reason why is because of your generosity. When you give here, it allows us to give to these kinds of things that are happening right now. And that's just one example. We have missionaries doing church planting in Ukraine. We have missionaries training church planters in Africa. We have church planting happening in the Canary Islands. That's a missions trip I want to go on. <laughs> I want to suffer for Jesus in the Canary Islands. Can I go? <laughs> but it's like the Bahamas and everything else. I'll go to Jamaica for Jesus, you know. Because they need Jesus over there too. Just because they live in a nice place doesn't mean they don't need Jesus. But so, you know, but that's what's happening. And believe me, Western Europe, I used to say we do church playing in hard to reach places. Western Europe is very hard to reach. Western Europe's like harder to reach because they think they know it and they don't. But anyway, I say all this because these are the kind of investments that we're making. And so you have to know that. And we don't talk enough about it. Now, by the way, you can see this. We had, as I just alluded to, we had this packing party. 
Now this isn't necessarily, you know, you guys outside of your giving were the ones that gave this, but it's, it's the spirit of generosity and allowing the local church to do its job of not just being a place that exists for we four no more shut the door kind of a thing, but we're actually getting out there and touching people's lives far away because of the efforts that you guys make, all of us together collectively. Now, by the way, there are people out there who say, well, I don't tithe my money, I tithe my time. I tithe my time to the church. And, they, and they, some people are very proud about that. Well, I, I don't tithe money, I, I tithe my time. And I go, hmm, that's interesting. Because if a tithe is 10%, and there's 168 hours in a week, because there are, right? I think, I did the math on that. 168 hours a week, that would mean you'd be giving 16.8 hours a week to the church for free. I don't know anyone that does that. Like, I don't see anyone walking around here like at two o'clock on a Wednesday, like, oh, I'm just tithing my time, picking up some trash and mopping the floor. Like, I don't ever see that. So like, you might give like an hour or two hours, but that's not a time, you know what I'm saying? So I just wanted to kind of bust that myth, you know? Like, if you tithe your time, like, you might do that somewhere, but no one does that here because the numbers don't add up. So I'm just kind of helping us read. And plus the Bible never t- says, you can tithe your time instead of your money. Like the Bible never says that. So you're just kind of inventing stuff. You know, I'm tithing my food, you know, here's 10% of my steak. Um, I don't know, whatever. I just made that up. But <clears throat> so then here's the good part. Let me get to the good part because you're like, man, Pastor Tim, it's like heavy. Okay, relax, hang on. Here's what happens. What happens then when I give? Well, what's supposed to happen? Well, I would say this. He blesses me in ways I never could have imagined. God blesses me in ways. Now, I, might, I could have just said he blesses me in ways I could have imagined. Like I get a new car, or I never get sick, or everything works out great. And see, I can imagine those things. But I'm telling you, he blesses you in ways that you can't imagine. In other words, that you couldn't have thought about. You couldn't have predicted or foreseen. So this is what he says. He says, and thereby put me to the test. So bring your whole tithe and basically see what happens. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. So first of all, this is the only time where we are given permission to test God. Like other times, like Jesus says when he's in the desert, he, he says, he quotes, you know, to back to Satan when he's getting tempted and he goes, the Bible says do not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. This is different, however, because it's not an issue of like, well, God, are you really there? It's a, can I actually trust you that you're going to provide and believe you in this? And God never fails a test. So I'll tell you how we did this as a church back in 2009, and some of you, many of you know the story, but back in 2009 when the economy, remember the economy back in 2009, right? In the housing market, everything was, it was bad here, right? People were just walking away from their homes like they couldn't afford them. It was a terrible time, right? And, and we had been giving as an organization, we were like a 2% giving, we had like two missionaries that we were supporting for like nothing, right? Like give them like a hundred bucks a month or something. It was like terrible. And, um, so I did a sermon like this, and a lady came up to me and she said, hey, I appreciate this, but I got a question. 
How can you tell all of the church that they should be tithing when the church isn't tithing? Now, we had planned to tithe, because I, I came from a church, like I grew up in a church, this is 10% was the standard. Like that's, I just grew up with that. Like we just did that, right? That's how, I, that's how I came out to Arizona, because they had set aside money for a church planting fund that was very well with cash, uh, flush with cash, and that was what got me to Arizona and when I planted on the east side. So it, it all started, I'm out here because of, because of the tithe from our church. I just thought, and that's what we did when we were at church plant. So I came here, it was like 2%. So well, we got to fix it, but we're going to fix it incrementally. Like 1% a year, and then like in seven years or eight years, we'll get back up to 10%. But it wasn't happening. So she said, I'm just curious how you, and I didn't have a good answer for her. I didn't know what to say. So I went to the elders, I said, guys, we got a problem. We can't like say one thing and do another. And they're like, you're right. And then I went to the staff, and the staff said, you're right. Now, this is during the economic downturn. So I got up on a day like today, and I said, hey, I said, I want you to know, starting today, 10% of whatever we get, starting today, gets set aside for missions, for global outreach, for tithe. And I said, and I told, I said listen, so in one day, like imagine 8% increase, boom, in one day, during an economic decline. And I said, I want you to know, I want you to watch us. I want you to watch and see what God does with us and see if we're still in business. See what he does. Well, now, nine years later, you know, our budget is over a million dollars, which means $100,000 a year gets set aside for global outreach and, and, and missions and that kind of thing, local missions and everything else. Ministry outside our four walls. We give and give and give. We don't rely on it here doesn't pay the salaries or bills or nothing, right? $100,000 a year. We did a $1.1 million building expansion. We, we successfully did. We've grown. We've added staff. We've done all kinds of things. And why? I don't know. Because we said, you know, we're just going to do this. And, and then what did God do? God provided and provided and provided and provided. And he's still providing. And I just said, so, 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 you know, just watch us as an organization and see what happens to us. Now, how is that possible? Because of these kinds of things, right? But there's another principle at work as well, and that is this. He says, I will rebuke the devourer. Now, when we say rebuke the devourer, what do we mean by that? Well, when they would plant plants and, or crops or whatever else, you know that there's pests and stuff that would come. If you're, if you're, if you're a farmer, I don't know anything about farming. I just drive by the farms on the way home. You know, that's all I know. And this, and I, could tell, I could tell when they're fertilizing them and I could tell when they're growing onions and stuff. And I'm like, oh, but that's about as much as I know about farming. But I know that one of the things that you have to worry about when you're a farmer is pests, right? Destroying your, your crops. So you have to, you know, do all kinds of things to make sure because there's this law of entropy that everything breaks down and slows down and gets destroyed over a period of time, right? You know, if you... If you leave your shoe out, you know, old shoe out on the thing, you come back a thousand years later, it's not going to be like a, you know, a jet. It's, gonna, it's not going to evolve. It's going gonna, it's gonna to break down. So there's this law at work in the world. And God is basically saying, look, as you trust me, I'm going to hold those forces back on your crops and everything else. And those are the things that we don't often think about. We don't often think about the effect of decay on us. And I've heard this over and over and over again, that God has a way of preserving things for you in ways you couldn't have done on your own. So while maybe you don't get a new car, it's amazing how far your old car tends to go. I've seen this in my own life. And it's like, 
dang, I, thanks God. I mean, this car is like really, you know, I got one car, like 170,000 miles on it and it's still going along fine. The other one I had was 250 some thousand miles on it and I'm not a mechanic. So it's not like, I'm like, I did this myself. It's like, I just trusting these people to fix my car. But somehow I took it that long and it was well paid off. And it's like, thank you God for, for sparing me like having to pay all this money all the time. And so somehow God is protected. Um, you know, he will protect you from these kinds of things that you can't, not everything, but you'll be surprised at how far things can be stretched sometimes in your life. And you realize you just find it. Like I was talking to a guy last week. I went to a Grand Canyon uh, University basketball game last Saturday. Have you been to one of those? They're crazy. They're like one of the, it's, it's amazing. You just have to go to check it out sometime. But I was going down after Saturday service with this guy and he's, this guy's done pretty well. And he's just, we were talking about the sermon because he was in the service. He says, you know what, Tim? He says, what you're saying is exactly right. He goes, it doesn't make sense on paper, but somehow it works. And I can see this in my own life. So let me give you my own personal testimony on this. My wife and I have not been perfect in the area of giving for, well, at least we weren't in the, in the, when we first started out. We found ourselves in some real financial ruts, you know, just because you get married, you buy a house, you have kids. And when I was, we first got married, like we were both working full time. She's making more money than I was. It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and then we have a kid and then she's like, I don't want to work anymore. I'm like, okay. And then that was a game changer. And then we moved out here, planted a church and that was a financial, not good thing for us either. And because uh, whenever you start a business or organization, you put your own money into it and everything else. And so we were behind the eight ball for a while. But we, we said, okay, we're really going to try to get this area right. So for the last number of years, we've, you know, for well, you know, for the last 15 or so years, we've been much better at this in our lives to the point now. And here's what's crazy. Because when you have kids, especially, it's scary when they're young. And a lot of you are in this place because you're, and you're thinking in the back of your mind, you're like, dude, these kids, they're cute when they're little. And they're like, eh, you know. And you think you're going to save all this money when they get out of diapers. Oh, when they get out of diapers, we're going to save like 100 bucks a month. No, you're not. Because they're going to need something else, right? And they're going to need something. And then what happens is they get their, they have their little cute baby teeth and they fall out and they get their nasty adult teeth. <laughs> How do you fix that? You got you to get braces. And these dentists, you know, like they, uh, these nice cars aren't going to pay for themselves, Right? And they're highly trained. I respect them, but they, but they got to do, you know, and you're like, well, I want my kid to go to the prom and get married someday and out of the house. So you got to fix their teeth. <laughs> you know, how you doing? You know, you got to, you got to do that. So like, I got to pay for braces. I got three kids. That's like almost a hundred teeth. That's a lot of teeth to fix. And then, then someday they want to go to college. Yeah. You've seen what happened with college tuition rates? Yeah. It's, whole, it's a scam. It's a whole thing's a scam. I, I swear it is. It's unbelievable. You're, you're not paying for the, you're paying for the next building they're building. You're not paying for your art class or whatever. Anyway, sorry, that's my own little rant. And I have a doctorate, so I've been through the whole thing, okay? I'm just telling you. Okay, but here's the thing. And then they want to get married. I'm going to get married. So I'm looking at this. I'm starting out. I'm like, I'm going to be in debt for the rest of my life. I just am. I'm going to be swimming in debt. I'm just, I'll just die a poor, broke guy. Like, you know, I'll be, I'll be old, dumb, and broke as opposed to young, dumb, and broke. Like Khalid, right? I mean, old, dumb, and broke, and I'll just, whatever, I'll just deal with it. And you know, here's the thing, I'll tell you this. And we had, we, we had a college fund, you know, we have a little college set aside, but we have a first kid that's getting ready to go to college. He's, gonna, he's a senior, 
And as we're looking at it now, and he's got a few irons in the fire, and we'll see, but it's amazing because I can, I can promise you guys where I'm at now, and I'm telling, some of you guys are older, you're like, yeah, we heard this, but I'm talking to those of us that are younger and are freaking out and like, how are you going to make it? We have been faithfully giving to God all these years. I'm a pastor, right? So I'm not like some, you know, super high dollar guy. And I'm telling you, we have more than we've ever had. And it's not because, and it's, we're not bleeding money. It's just, I don't go to bed worried about how I'm going to afford stuff. I have peace. We have, my wife and I have peace in our hearts. We're okay. And we're looking at college and we're like, okay, we, we're kind of realizing if it goes this way, we'll have to pay this much. If it goes this way, we'll have to pay this much. But guess what? We can afford it. And we're looking at ways looking now, we may not need to go to any debt at all. And, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's some scholarship things that might pan out, but we couldn't have foreseen those things. I could have taken all the money that we tithed and added it to the college fund, and it may not have ever mattered because in some senses, I see God maybe rebuking the devourer a little bit in our mind, the devourer of college, right? And helping us in that regard by working some things out and just orchestrating some things that we could not have foreseen. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. It's a relationship with God, dependency on Him, and you rather than freaking out about these things and having them be these giant, horrible obstacles, you go, all right, we'll figure that out. And some of you are like, well, wait till the weddings come. Okay, well, well, we'll probably figure that out too. We can have a nice little thing here at the church, you know, a little thing out in the grass afterwards, and it'd be free because I work here. <laughs> I got it all planned out. <laughs> but in all honesty, these things that you think about, all I'm trying to say is in my experience, as far as my wife and I can see, and I'm not saying we'll be headed for difficult times, but I'm saying as a personal testimony, as far as my wife and I can see, we can see ahead and we're like, you know what? We're going to be all right. Thank you, God, for taking care of us. Thank you, God, for walking with us. Thank you that we can. And then we're kind of blown away when we add up all the money we've given over the years. We're like, man, this starts to add up over like over, you know, 15, whatever, plus 20 years of marriage, 20 years of marriage, and you start adding it, like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. We've been, only rich people should be able to give away that amount of money. Not when you're faithfully giving over a period of time. You're like, this is really cool. I, I, don't, re I, don't, regret a, I don't regret a dime I've ever given to God. I don't miss it. I don't go, oh, I could have. No, I don't even think about it. And I've never talked to anyone who says any different. So what do we do with this? Well, the answer is pretty simple. It's really kind of one of these things, are you going to decide to do this or not? So this isn't a heavy, this don't, don't hear like a, you know, you guys know me, I'm not a like high pressure guy. You have to go before the Lord and you have to ask yourself, God, you can ask God, is this something that I believe that you will take care of me if I begin to engage in? And however you decide to do that in your life, you want to work up to it, you want to bite the bullet and just do it and see what happens, take the six month tithing challenge. We've talked about that before where you say, we're going to try it for six months and see what God does. You could do that. That's one option. Another option is we're just going to try to give a little bit more and see what happens. We'll weigh it in slowly. It's between you and God because God's going to take care of our church whether he uses you or not. So I'm not really worried about that. It's really for you. And you know what? To, to end this sermon, I would say this too. It's really all this is, guys, all this is, is another step in the journey of discipleship and becoming more like Jesus. It's the same thing because you sit there and go, this is a radical concept, Tim. This is a radical concept. Tithing, like giving money away to God like this, this amount of money, that's a radical concept. But you know what? So is surrendering your sexuality to God. 
The world looks at us and goes, man, you guys are crazy, man. We'll have sex with anyone, anywhere, anytime we want, man. That's it. Okay, that's great. And look at the disease in the world. Look at the heartbreak in the world. Look at the depression and the suicide and the domestic violence and the anger and the bitterness and the rage and the children born out of wedlock and the, and the, 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 the challenge of poverty that comes so oftentimes from sexual sin. Yes, sexual sin causes poverty. It does. It just flat out does. And the whole world goes, yeah, I want to be able to do with my body whatever I want. You Christians are idiots. Time out. Surrendering your sexuality to God, all that means is, is that sex is a powerful thing that when used rightly in the context of marriage is really awesome. So when you're married, you should have sex and have sex a lot. The Bible says. That's what I said to my wife. That's my idea of Romance. A dozen roses and the Bible says. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I make a poem out of it. <clears throat> Same thing with alcohol. It's substance abuse. Whoa, man, do you realize that I read an article yesterday, middle-aged women are the next crew to get to, that are dying like crazy because of alcohol abuse. Our, the maid of honor in our wedding, my wife's best friend, Died of alcoholism like three years ago. 40 something. 44 or whatever, I don't know. No, we, no one knew. No one knew. No one knew. Well, well, I should be able to put in my body whatever I want. Okay. And die in the process. See, all this is, guys, is we, we're, we're doing radical things to surrender every bit of our lives. So now the money doesn't rule me. God rules my money. And when God rules my money, I'm a happier, more peaceful person. And I understand why it's there in the first place. All it is is the journey of becoming more like Jesus, guys. It's kicking out the idols, the small g gods, and surrendering ourselves and living in a place of peace and dependency on him. That's all this is. Let's pray together. God, we look at your word for instruction and we look at your word for truth. And I pray that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, that they wouldn't think that the way to your heart is through their money. No. That they are the ones who've been reached out to by you and the beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. And only once that decision has been made, are you then interested in beginning to knock down the other idols of our lives and beginning to bring us to a place of maturity? So God, I pray that every person would know that your number one goal is to grab our hearts and show us your redemption. You're not after our money. But God, thank you at the same time that we can live lives of great joy and great discipline and great fulfillment that the world just doesn't understand. Thank you for giving us a guideline, for giving us the past to learn from, for giving us clarity. God, help each person here who perhaps or even right now is just being strangled by money, strangled by poor decisions, strangled by fear. God, you're so much bigger than all of that. So we give all of this to you and we trust that every person here We'll walk in faith and courage and obedience because we love you and we're so blown away by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.